Welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. I'm Ruth, a blogger on personal finance here in New Zealand and on this podcast I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Now you're going to hear helpful, relatable stories from Kiwis who are giving their tips and points of view on personal finance in New Zealand. Now personal finance is indeed deeply personal. So with that being said, in this week's podcast I spoke with Joe from Wellington. Now just setting up a meeting with Jo was a job in itself. She is a busy mum of a two-year-old. They had just returned from an overseas trip and she is juggling parenting with a 30-hour work week while her partner is working as well. But we had a great chat where she told me how at a very young age she was encouraged into buying property and she discussed how that decision has impacted her over the years. But before I get started, I just have a quick message from today's sponsor. I'm excited to have Hatch supporting today's episode because for the first time they make investing in the US share markets easy and affordable for Kiwis. Hatch is Kiwi Wealth's digital investing platform. In fact, they are 100% Kiwi owned and operated by the Kiwi Group family who are committed to helping Kiwis be as wealthy as they should be. Investing in exchange-traded funds is an easy way to diversify your portfolio and Hatch has hundreds of ETFs to choose from using the biggest fund managers like Vanguard, BlackRock and Spider. Investors can also back their view of the future by investing in global megatrends. If you think plant-based proteins, robotics and electric cars will shape the world we live in, well, you can now invest in a company at the forefront of the trend or in an exchange-traded fund and get a stake in multiple companies leading the way. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. Joe is from Christchurch and grew up in slightly unusual circumstances in that, incredibly sadly, her mother passed away from cancer when she was just seven years old and having no brothers or sisters, it was to be just her and her dad growing up. But she credits her dad, who always worked full-time, with giving her a solid financial education as she grew up, much of which has put her in good stead over the years. Her dad was raised in a fairly modest home, she said, and has always been a bargain hunter, bought almost everything secondhand, and over many years he and his cousin have slowly built up a portfolio of nine rental properties, which they managed together. Her dad really taught her the value of working for your money. He was not going to just give her a handout every time she wanted something, and she said that watching cousins and friends living the high life and jumping from one hobby to the next, with their parents picking up the cheque, and being given whatever they asked for was hard and she said that she had no mother, no siblings and her dad was working full time and at the time she felt that he was being stingy and that she was really missing out. But now looking back, those same people who were repeatedly given everything with little or no effort from them required are now actually not too good at handling the money that they now have to go out and earn themselves. Jo said that her father spent money in a more meaningful way and that after a while she and her dad did start to travel overseas and have all kinds of experiences together and looking back she is now extremely thankful for the way she was raised and hindsight is good like that. She got her first proper paid job at about the age of 16 working in a countdown supermarket bakery and from the get-go she saved much of this money for her university fees. A lot of kids start work at about this age, but few of them think to save for the university years ahead, instead spending it on consumer goods along the way. But she was different, and Jo was to stay in this job for five years throughout her time at uni, 
never spending beyond her means and just saving hard as she went along and spending when necessary. When she got to university, her dad had agreed to pay half of her fees if she paid the other and because of her part-time job at the supermarket and the full-time work that she did in the holidays, she ended up being one of the very few people she knew who didn't have a student loan at the end of their course. She said that everyone else talked about their student loans because they all had them and that was the first time that she kind of realised, ah, I don't actually have one and that she had gone about things slightly differently to most. When she became an adult and was able to look back, she can actually now appreciate that her father was teaching her some really good working and spending habits very early in life, and she says she inherited the bargain bug from him, and he was pivotal in enabling her to see the value of money. For example, at about the age of 19, she was going to garage sales each weekend to find the biggest clothing bargains that she could, and she was putting out flyers around her neighbourhood offering to pay $5 per bag of clothes. Then she would go down to the well-known Rickerton Markets in Christchurch and sell these clothes for profit, and there were many instances of ways that she found to bring in some extra income over the years. At university, she started down the path of a degree in geography, which she said was probably more to do with peer pressure from her friends, as it was a really popular course and a cool thing to do. Apparently, it was what the people with the best social life were studying. She also did statistics and maths from year one, and whereas the geography lectures were jam-packed, you could count on two hands the people in her math lectures. Partway through the second year, she thought, what am I doing here in geography? So she made what turned out to be the best decision ever, and she decided to go with what she was good at, and she picked up more statistics papers. She finished her statistics degree at the age of 21, handed in her notice at Countdown, and took a job with Statistics New Zealand straight out of university, and thus began her career as an analyst. She said that having suffered such a huge loss, the death of her mother at such a young age, her career came a source of real enjoyment and in many ways, she said, was one of her saving graces and she is still enjoying this profession today. In about 2002 and at the young age of 22, her father encouraged her and helped her to buy a rental property, a modest two-bedroom townhouse in Christchurch for $140,000 that she still has today and she considers this purchase at such a young age as her greatest financial triumph. It was built in 1991 and Joe said it has been cash flow positive ever since she purchased it and today it values at about 390000 She said that she now thinks it was pretty crappily built, a leaky 1990s building without the leaks, she said, but it got all day sun, it had a lovely courtyard to the north and it was very easy to rent from day one. She does not quite recall how the numbers worked out but sometime earlier she had received an inheritance of $12,000 and she had some of that left which she pulled with her savings and this made up the deposit. It was probably about $20,000 she thought. Her dad did the same and they went halves on the property. She was earning $31,000 a year and her father also acted as a guarantor so if she defaulted on any payments the bank would come after him for the money. She said that they put her property into a trust and that she learned all the ins and outs of setting that up at the time too. At the same time, her dad was buying up rental properties with his cousin, about nine in total she thinks, but this was the only one that Joe and her dad did together. And about seven years later, he took out his share plus his profit and she remortgaged to cover these costs and pay him out and she went on to be the sole owner. Despite owning her Christchurch house for about 18 years now, she has actually never received a cent in rent. It has always gone to the mortgage, a mortgage that then increased when she paid out her father for his share of the investment and increased again to finance another property. And I asked her the question of if you could retain all of the knowledge that you have today regarding money and you could go back to your 15-year-old self and start again, 
what would you do, whether it be the same or something different? She said that sometimes a part of her thinks she could have maybe done more in the way of wealth building in her 20s, and it would have stood her well today. Her rental property was rented out at $240 a week, and this did not change for six years. She should have been getting at least $60 a week more, but because she was not actively managing the property, her dad was, she remained more comfortable with the fact that they had good tenants. When a property manager did finally take over, the rent instantly increased, and if she could have changed something, it would have been to have a property manager sooner. Meanwhile, it was better financially for her to keep renting in the cheap flats she was in with friends, so that's what she continued to do. And she began to work hard in a new career, starting as an analyst, then moving into a team leader role, and then actually moving over the ditch to Australia to work at their Bureau of Statistics, and then onto the UK Stats Office, where she became branch head and a manager there. So she ended up in quite a high-profile role, where she said that at the age of 28, she was managing a team of people, presenting to the media about the UK GDP results for each quarter, and she said that looking back on it, it was quite full-on as her drive for career advancement really took hold. When she eventually returned to New Zealand, she actually went back to Statistics New Zealand, still feeling very ambitious and career-driven, keen to broaden her skills. But with budget cuts and what have you, she moved on and took a role at ACC, which she said turned out to be a blessing in disguise because it broadened her experience and it let her work in a completely different role and turned out to be one of the best things she could have done. So today, Jo is 39 years old and now happy in her career working with EQC in the data analytics team and she has been there since 2014. Two and a half years ago, she left work so that her and her partner Tim, who was also a data analyst by the way, could welcome their son into the world, and she returned to work when he was about six months old. Now the irony of her current role of working for EQC is that her Christchurch house was impacted by the earthquakes, and all these years later the home, although tenanted, is still not finished, which is a real pain. Her townhouse is in a block of five, each with different owners, so as a group they are working through the repair process. And, in case you were wondering, given her employer, she is not allowed to even look at her own claim, and she lets the other owners lead the repair process which keeps her objective and independent, so she said she has to wear two different hats to avoid any conflict of interest. Now living in Wellington, Joe and Tim actually own two townhouses side by side, each is about 80 square metres in size. They originally purchased one of the townhouses as their home for about $370,000. They paid for this by Joe increasing the mortgage on her Christchurch property so that she could put $30,000 into their new Wellington home as part of the deposit. And Tim actually also owns a place in Christchurch, so he was able to come up with money for the deposit on their Wellington home as well. So it was a team effort. Sometime after buying this first townhouse, the adjoining one was offered to them to purchase for $540,000, so they went ahead and got the lending in place and purchased it, and it's now rented out full-time. So combined, they have four properties, all with mortgages on them. They chose to buy the property next door so that they have ownership of the entire section and control over both houses in the event that they have a major earthquake in Wellington, which we all know is entirely possible. Now the situation in Christchurch where Joe owns one townhouse in a block of five has been problematic. Although all five separate homeowners have worked really well together over the last nine years to get the repairs to their property done, having shared ownership adds a large layer of complexity to the entire situation. And just think about that for a moment, nine years of wrangling to get repairs done on your property. The houses were each repaired but then further issues were actually found on the site with the garages and the driveways and as the work progressed more issues were found so things were put on hold or the paperwork and the insurance is sorted out 
which she said was, or is, just drama and confusion. So welcome to home ownership, folks. Sometimes it's not a straightforward process. When things go well, it's great. When they don't, it can be a real headache. And I think it will be surprising for many to hear that there are still a lot of claims and repairs outstanding in Christchurch after the earthquakes began way back in 2010. Lately, Joe and Tim have been discussing making some changes to the properties they own because she feels that she has too much equity tied up in property. With she being late 30s and Tim in his early 40s, they want to get to the point where they are mortgage-free sooner rather than later. But at this point in time, she does not actually know their exact financial position nor their exact net worth. And this is something that she wants to spend some time clarifying. She thinks she must owe about $50,000 on her Christchurch property and she thinks that Tim owes about the same on his. But when you take into account their two Wellington properties, she took a bit of a guess that they might still owe about $600,000 on them also. Now, for someone who works as an analyst, it did surprise me that she was not concrete on her numbers. But then when I reflected on it, it's probably not really surprising at all. If you work all day analysing data, it's probably not something you want to do at home as well. And if you feel that you've got your system set up to pay the mortgage and what have you, then it probably does not need too much close attention. Or does it? Both of them have lived with debt for a long time, and I gather from the lack of surety around the numbers that paying a mortgage is just something that happens without too much thought. But Joe is coming around to the idea that this might need to change, hence her starting to work towards clarifying their exact financial position and working out exactly what they owe and what they own. They're thinking about selling up both Christchurch houses, once her insurance and repairs are sorted, and putting all of that equity against their Wellington mortgages, because they do now both want to get to the point of having no mortgages at all. Her rough guess is that her house in Christchurch is worth about 390000 with about a $50,000 mortgage, and his is worth about 200000 also with a $50,000 mortgage. So after real estate fees and what have you, there might be about $450,000 of equity that they can put into their Wellington mortgages, bringing them down to perhaps $150,000. But there is a lot of maybe and might be going on here. They really do not quite know. A further thought is that at some stage in the next five years, she would like to build or buy something just slightly bigger, about 100 to 110 square metres. And when this happens, the thought is to sell these two townhouses into a business so it can run on its own. I think that Joe's situation is not at all uncommon in New Zealand. People acquire one property, they use the rent to pay the mortgage, then they leverage against that property to acquire a second and maybe a third. And on and on it goes, with the acquisition of more property being the goal not debt payoff as such. One of these houses is generally the family home as well, and for tax reasons and maybe personal financial reasons and relationship reasons, a trust is set up or a business is set up to manage the bookkeeping side of things. Sometimes you can feel like you are making progress, creating the structure, but to me the simple act of owning property can become confusing and overly complicated when there are mortgages involved and what have you and can really lengthen the payoff time of those properties and you can just quietly settle into a pattern of endlessly paying off one mortgage or another for life. I think this may in some way be the reason why it's not as black and white as you would think to work out how much equity and debt that you have. Joe and her partner carry debt on all of their four properties and we did talk about the fact that despite two very good incomes they still didn't actually own anything outright. She said that after listening to all the people I've talked about on my podcast and how they go about handling property and debt and investing and what have you, that this has been one of the catalysts for the conversation around selling both of their Christchurch properties and putting that money into their Wellington property, which would greatly reduce the debt burden. 
But in doing this, it will still leave them with almost all of their net worth and property. And Joe's mind is currently thinking really hard about that. So more recently, after learning more about how other people handle their money, she has started to think about diversification for the first time after thinking, oh my God, if all of these people are investing in other places, I'd better take a look at it for myself. Because property investment is such a commonly discussed topic in New Zealand as the main way to build wealth, Joe said that she too has always been so swept up in the property side of things and has always been completely sold on property and the endless pursuit of building up equity and buying something else and this thought process has been in the back of her mind up until very recently when she began to look outside the square a little. Her time spent at Stats New Zealand had her looking in depth at trends in our economy and she had always meant to diversify and finally she's like right it's actually time to do something about it. So back in May of this year, 2019, she started a few new investments up. She has her KiwiSaver with a provider called New Zealand Funds, to which she voluntarily contributes 4% of her pay, and she currently has a balance of about 55000 She said that it moves from growth to moderate as you age, and when she set it up, it was 85% in growth. Also, while she was on maternity leave, she ceased her KiwiSaver contributions and was back at work for six months before she started them up again. She said that it simply was not on her radar to keep this going, which is unfortunate, but she is back into it now. Being a contractor, it's up to her to make voluntary contributions now. Apart from looking at it once a year when she does an annual statement of financial position, she never looked at it on a more regular basis until now. She now also takes the same amount, 4%, and invests it into sharesies, buying into the index funds, the New Zealand Top 50 Fund, Emerging Markets Fund, and for a bit of a play into the Global Water Managed Fund. She is enjoying the sharesies' easy user interface and is enjoying the research she has started doing herself and her investment strategy, she said, is to think very long-term, not short-term, and is investing in things that make complete sense to her. She said that she has spent quite a few hours researching global macroeconomic trends, as you do, and when she is researching, she is also thinking very long-term about things like what will happen to the baby boomers when the last of their generation are going through retirement homes in around 2030, 2035, what will healthcare and health tech sectors be doing to innovate to keep up. So she has invested in the likes of Ryman Healthcare and her thinking with buying into an emerging market index fund is the fact that all the developed economies are going to keep trickling along, but some countries she thinks like Brazil and India are set to probably start developing as China did, so she's invested in them as well. And when we spoke it was actually quite late one evening and our conversation kept straying from me trying to document her journey to us just having a really good conversation about where she is headed because she is very much in a state of flux at the moment. Joe has always thought that there is one way to do things and that's to invest in property to build wealth and it's more recently by utilising her and Tim's very high intellects and analytical skills that she's starting to research and think about doing things in a different way and it was really interesting to observe her thought processes on this because the thing I was thinking was that Joe has always earned really good money, about 100k a year or more and I actually thought that she could have been in a far stronger financial position by now. Yes, her properties have had capital gains, but she has also paid all her rent to the bank for the longest time and it was interesting that their high incomes have not contributed to paying them off. After Jo went back to work from maternity leave, she had the option to take a permanent role, which would mean a pay cut or become a contractor on an hourly rate, earning about $100 an hour, from which she would have to pay tax, etc. 
After much deliberation and encouragement from Tim, she took up the contract, working 30 hours per week, and so far this contract has been extended. But EQC is constantly downsizing, so she is aware that her time here has the potential to be limited. Plus, at the same time, she was asked to do some analytics for another company where she could set her own hours, so to help them out, she took that opportunity as well. Hence why it took a bit of back and forth to set up an interview time. Joe's very busy of late, probably too busy, but it will soon settle down. And like many women I meet, adapting to becoming a mother while keeping a career that you love going is a real juggle. But she has found that working no more than 30 hours each week is her sweet spot. She loves going to work, she loves entering the office, and she would really miss it if she was not doing it. So between Tim and herself, their son is in daycare for three days a week, as each of them work a four-day week, with one taking Monday off and the other Friday to be with him. So they have found a really good workaround. But this arrangement still means that they are paying $570 each week in daycare costs, which, if I'm honest, absolutely blew me away. Um, When their son turns three, they will start to receive 20 hours of paid childcare by the government. But the whole time that they've been putting him into care, they pay a bill of $570 per week, which to many in New Zealand would be an entire person's paycheck. But as Jo pointed out, the amount she makes each week is so much greater than the amount they pay in childcare, so it is affordable to them, but it's still a massive weekly outgoing. Given that her contract at work could end, I asked her if she kept an emergency fund which could cover these expenses. Well, no, she does not, and she guessed that her emergency fund could potentially come from the tax that she has set aside from her contracting work. She's been putting aside 33% from every paycheck, and it's been building up while she waits for an accountant to tell her exactly how much she needs to pay in tax. It would be less than ideal to use this money, which has been earmarked for tax, but there is cash there nonetheless. As a family, they've recently had a six-week trip to Europe, and to organise and book and plan for this, she took a bit of extra time off work each week to sort the trip, and it was during this planning time that she also started to look at their finances much more closely. As a couple, they had been using a system called SAS, SAS, which is a pretty gutsy software system for working out your household finances, but remember that these two are data analysts. Tim would come home with graphs, etc. of their situation, which he had been tracking and which they would discuss. But in the last four months, they've joined up with Pocketsmith, a New Zealand personal finance software company. And I've provided a link to them on the tools and resources page of my website, thehappysaver.com. Now for about the last five months, they've started having monthly finance meetings. They meet in their lunch hour, Tim organises lunch, they get a meeting room at his work and they pull up their pocketsmith and they review it and they talk about their income and their expenditure in regards to all of their household budgets that they've created. They're still trying to find the perfect way to make the data tell their own story. Pocketsmith can do so much that it does take time to get your head around but it's working and they are starting to build a picture of how they are tracking, so the meetings are really well worth it. She said that prior to doing this, Tim in particular had been worried about their finances because since having a child, they've been so busy with their baby that their budgeting for household expenditure was not as good as it used to be and they are spending more than normal prior to having a child and there is a level of lifestyle creep that he was beginning to feel uncomfortable with. Possessions-wise, Joe has always been a massive bargain hunter, just like her dad is, spending lots of time at garage sales when she was young and lots of time at op shops since then. In fact, she has hardly bought a new piece of clothing or furniture item for many years, although there have been times when she said that she did get a bit addicted to op shopping in a slightly more dangerous way, like when her son was first born. 
She said that since initiating these meetings, they are both really talking proactively about their money now and for Tim, his worry is gone because they're discussing things openly and clearly now and are working together towards common goals. I think that this is a brilliant idea to get a couple both on the same page, a set time to focus your attention on nothing else but your household finances. And it's an opportunity to discuss the fears they each have and of course also the ideas and the goals that they both have. You won't have a single meeting and come away with a plan set up. No way, because if you've been doing things a certain way for a very long time, changing course also takes time. Month by month, they discover better ways of organising their money and they work out how they would like to categorise their spending or how much to divert to KiwiSaver, exactly how much is remaining on their debt or how much to set aside for a holiday or whatever spending decision it is that they have facing them. So it's because of these meetings that Joe is probably spending less time in secondhand stores and is turning her attention to investing in something outside of housing for the first time. And I felt very privileged to have a chat with her at a stage in her life where she's learning a new approach, getting her head around their exact financial position and looking to diversify in the years ahead. Apart from Tim, is there anyone else that Joe has an opportunity to talk money with, I wondered. She said that she does not talk with many people about money and is probably more likely to speak to others that are big on the conversations around things that I find confusing like offsetting expenses when you are making a loss in order to avoid tax. She thinks they are missing the point here and that you want to be making a profit and yes you will be paying taxes on that but a profit should be the goal. Hearing how others structure their money via my podcast she said has had her questioning their own approach and the thought of selling their Christchurch houses. Otherwise, she said she would be sitting here in another 10 years, continuing to build up equity, continuing with mortgages, and not really giving any thought at all about what the end goal actually is. With her father having a number of rental properties, about nine, which he co-owns with a family member, it seemed obvious that he would be the ideal person to chat with about what he plans to do with this property now that he's in his early 70s. How has he structured these properties? Does he own them? Do they provide an income? Is his intention to sell any of them so he can have a lump of cash to travel or live life or what have you? When I spoke with Tracy in episode 31 of the podcast, she said something that stayed with me. You don't get into anything unless you have a plan to get out. And I think Joe would get a lot out of a chat with her dad about the role that property has played and how it will continue to play out for him as he has always been very careful to build up a portfolio. But what is it for? And I was also interested to ask how Joe and Tim personally manage money together or separately. It's a bit of a mixture of having their own incomes go into their own accounts, then 75% of that income going into their joint account. She does not really know why they do it this way, but she has always been independent and they didn't get together until they were in their 30s. So they've had a lot of life prior to meeting and both had their banking structures well set up and ingrained by then. She is by no means an extravagant spender, but she likes to have a certain amount of income she does not need to discuss. Not that he would say anything, but it's nice to have something of her own, and I'm sure that the same applies to Tim as well. Joe said that they both have similar mindsets when it comes to money, and it's not something that they argue about. Together they saved and planned a trip to Europe in May at a cost of about $20,000 because she has a lot of family on both sides over in the UK. Joe has always loved to travel 
and this trip was important to her because amongst many visits to family members, she went to visit her own aunts, her mother's sisters, plus their children, Joe's cousins, and it's very important to her that there are photos and memories so that when her son is older, he can ask questions of Joe about the people in the photos, and this will keep the conversation alive about her mother's side of the family, which is such an incredibly important thing to do. She is a strong believer in giving her child the chance at a lot of travel. She is convinced it is great for them and although she does not recall travelling with her parents to New Zealand for the first time at the age of just two, there is still an innate impact on your whole world. Now as an adult she can look at photographs and get inspired by what she did when she was little with her mum and dad and photos of that time are just critical. When she was 10, her father took her out of school and she spent five months travelling around the world where the only academic thing she did was to keep a diary. This completely drove her passion for travel and it's been such a positive thing in her life. It has helped shape her personality and it's made her very open to different cultures and foods and helped her meet new people and create connections. The first big trip that she really clearly remembers was when she was 12, when she went to Japan, and that trip fostered her lifelong love of the country. The things you do when you are younger have a much bigger impact on you, she believes, and she now has lots of Japanese friends, she has continued to learn Japanese, has travelled there six times, and wants to go over there and teach one day. And all of this was started by a trip she did when she was just 12 years old. In her early 20s she had a pretty good job at Statistics New Zealand in Christchurch and she hardly saved a cent because she did such a lot of travel. While back home the rental property just ticked over and she has never borrowed money for anything other than a house, always living within her means. She's always been big on experiences with travel being right at the top of her list. So that is how she spends quite a bit of money both then and now. So when I wondered where the income went and why perhaps she didn't just pay off her rental property, well there was the answer. She had a life to live, the property was cash flow positive and she felt the need to travel, which as someone who likes to travel myself I can completely understand. She said she spent a lot of money on travel without thinking about the rest of her finances all that much. Joe said that their current goal is to go somewhere decent or have a big trip about every three years and they save, budget and plan for this. So my final question was, what books, podcasts or blogs could she recommend to you and I? She has read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but the main thing that has struck a chord with her has been a short podcast series called The Pineapple Project, and also all the people she has heard about in my podcast. Now before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. Thanks again to Hatch for supporting The Happy Saver. Whether you are new to investing or an experienced investor, for the first time Hatch gives Kiwis easy and affordable access to the most recognisable companies via the US share markets. With no minimum investment, fair and transparent fees, they are 100% Kiwi owned and operated and they let you and I invest in the most exciting and recognisable companies in the world. So to easily invest in the largest share markets in the world, head to hatch.as forward slash the happy saver. Joe said herself that after arriving back in New Zealand in about 2012, her and her partner Tim have got fairly stuck into the rat race, busy with their jobs and now with their young son, and she feels she may have lost her way just a little bit. Having a child has made Joe reflect on her life and think about doing things differently. Kids are good like that. They have a habit of turning our lives upside down and forcing us to transition into a new normal. While we spoke, I actually wrote a note to myself which said, I think Joe has been on autopilot but is a person primed for doing things even better. She has ultimately followed her dad's example into buying property but is about to take it up a gear just as soon as she learns how. 
Now everyone needs an aha moment to change and she is having her moment now as she steadily acquires more knowledge. This year, 2019, has seen Jo discover a way to invest outside of what she knows, housing. As she began to dabble in KiwiSaver, index funds and managed funds, and she thinks it has the potential to be a fun way of going about it. And her plan is to continue with these investments in an ongoing and regular basis. Jo likes property and she likes managing it. It's of interest to her and not a chore, but she wants to find a way to spread their money a little more evenly and rebalance their portfolio, something she has always wanted to do but until now never quite ended up doing. The monthly finance meetings between her and Tim have proved really useful in terms of starting to think even more as a team about their longer term financial decisions. Making the decision, in theory at least, to sell their two Christchurch properties will have a big impact on the rest of their finances. And it's still early days, and it will be interesting to stay in touch with Joe and just see how this all plays out. Finally, I just want to thank Joe so much for taking time and for sharing her journey with you and I. I feel she is very much on the cusp of a whole heap of new knowledge, which is going to lead her to a whole heap of new experiences in the coming years. And during our conversation about the winding road she's been on previously, I could just feel her energy and see her building a new plan or a new strategy which will actively formulate into some clear goals to head for and achieve over the next five years. This year in particular she is gathering momentum and in her own words she said that she feels like this balloon is coming and it's going to take her to this new world from a trickle, it's going to turn into a flood of new knowledge. Now I love seeing people transform their relationship with money in this way and I wish Joe and Tim all the very best. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next week with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I do release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please do share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving. Thank you.